Well, good morning, church. My name is Ryan Brown, and I serve as the pastor of student ministries here at Graceland. I'm just so thankful to be with you today. Um, and in fact, before we get started, I'd I just like to spend a few moments thanking God for some of the many, many wonderful things that he's doing here at GBC. Our vision here at this church is to transform our neighborhoods, the next generation, and the nations through Jesus Christ. And so in our neighborhoods with neighborhood campuses and with a partnership with Hazelwood Middle School, with Silver, or Silver Creek, with Slate Run, being right here on our very campus, God is transforming lives right here in New Albany, right here in Southern Indiana, right in our neighborhoods. And for the next generation, I, I get to serve as the student ministries pastor and see students and kids come to faith, be baptized. Um, we had, as Pastor Carmen mentioned, we have VBS starting tomorrow. We have more kids pre-registered than we had come all last summer. That's amazing. Um, and also, we have summer camps coming up. We've got our kids camp, middle school camp, high school camp. And we are, are taking kids to camp so that they will be discipled, that they will be encouraged, they will be equipped to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ in their homes, on their ball teams, and in their schools. And this is awesome things to see these lives transformed. But then to the nations, as you saw in the video, Pastor Ray's in Indonesia right now with the Reagans. Um, we've got a team that's headed to Kenya, Africa this summer. We've got so many missionaries that we support. And so lives are being transformed all over the globe. And can we just give God a round of applause for all that? And then before we, before we jump in today, I just want to pray. Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, as we dive into your word today, I pray that you would speak, that you would speak mightily in this place. Lord, that you would encourage, you would challenge, God, and you would just send this church. We love you and we place this time in your hands. So this morning we're picking up in our series, Rise Up. It's a series through the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open them up. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. If you don't have a Bible, you can open up your smartphone, you can pull out your tablet, or you can also use the Bible right in front of you in the pews. Um, your, that is a free gift from us to you if you do not have a Bible, so please take that home with you. But I'll be reading out of the ESV translation this morning, so if you're on your smartphone, you can flip to that version or follow along with us on the screens. Uh, but let me give you a bit of a recap as we uh, kind of look back to the past three weeks of Rise Up. In chapter 1, chapter 1, Jesus, he's died. He's rose from the dead. And right before he's going to be ascending to sit at the right hand of the Father, in verse 8 of chapter 1, he tells those around him, he says, Go and be my witnesses, basically, to this area to the surrounding areas, and then to the very ends of the earth. Then in chapter 2, just as promised, the Holy Spirit descends upon God's people. And Peter, he gives this amazing sermon, all right? And it says that 3,000 souls come to faith that day. And then last week in chapter 3, Pastor Ray, he took us through the account of a lame beggar. He's sitting outside of the temple. And then Peter and John, they walk up to this man. And this man, he asks for alms. He asks for money. And then Peter and John, they, they get down next to him. They say, what, what we have for you isn't money. What we do have is so much greater. Stand up and walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this man gets up and he just starts running around, praising God. 
And not only do I think that he was healed physically, but I think he was healed spiritually. And Pastor Ray said, to reach everyone, it starts with one. And so today, we pick up then in chapter 4, beginning right in verse 1. The word of the Lord says this. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now listen to these next two verses, verses 3 and 4. It says, And they arrested them, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now I want, you, I want you guys to imagine with me kind of in, in today's context what this might be like. So imagine that I'm giving the invitation here at the end of the service and those doors just burst open and people come in and they handcuff me and they start dragging me off and I'm like, hey, if you want to be a part of this, just come with me, right? You guys would be like, you're crazy. I, I don't know you and I don't, I don't want to be arrested. In fact, you'd probably turn and look at the doors and think, I'm going to go that way. But this is what scripture tells us. It records that up to 5,000 men now are part of their group. This is what can happen after two sermons when the Holy Spirit is poured out among the people. And if there are 5,000 men, I would venture to say there's probably more like 10 to 12,000 people. Some scholars will even say as high as 20,000 people were part of their group because the word here in Greek for men is actually the word for males and not for mankind. So most likely including women and children, I would say there's at least 10,000 people a part of this group. So the church, now 10,000 strong, they're facing their first opposition. Their first opposition. Many of these people, they're probably days or weeks into their faith. But what do they do? Here comes this fierce opposition. How do they react? How are they going to rise up in the face of opposition? And from their example, how can we too rise up in the face of opposition? Well, I want to spend the, the rest of the time, I want to give you six ways, six practical ways that we as the church can learn from the early church on how to rise up. It's going to be six ways that you personally can rise up and six way, ways that we can collectively rise up in the face of opposition. And in fact, I think that these things kind of build upon one another and they work together in perfect harmony. And they all have one thing in common. If you'll track along with me, I think that you'll see that throughout this whole thing that there is opportunity in opposition. I truly believe that God grants opportunity in opposition. You see, every time, every time the church does effective ministry, the early church, there comes persecution. They experience opposition. Effective ministry today is like a magnet for opposition. But because the church encountered opposition, it gave them great opportunity in the way that they reacted to that opposition. Every step of the way they were able to bring glory to God. And so we too, we can have a posture that when opposition comes, we react, we react in such a way that we also bring glory to God. So the first thing, the first thing that we can do in the face of opposition, how we can rise up is we must expect 
opposition. Friends, we must expect opposition because it's going to come. Let's pick up in verse 5. It says, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and with Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priest family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? Now I want you to imagine with me that you're Peter, okay? You have just been arrested, and not only that, but you're arrested, it's in the evening time, and so they arrest you, and no one comes to talk to you that evening. All right, they wait until the very next morning to come and talk to you. And on top of that, on top of that, the people that come and see you is a guy named Annas. Now, Annas, he is the ex-high priest, and if you think back to when Jesus was arrested, he's the same guy that Jesus goes and sees first. So we've got all these mock trials, and Annas is the first one to see. Then Annas, he sends him on to Caiaphas, and Caiaphas is Annas's son-in-law. All right, a little bit of nepotism there. But he sends him on to his son-in-law, and Caiaphas, he's like, man, we got to get this thing rolling. And so he wants to, to get things done. So he tries him, convicts him, and executes Jesus all in the same day because they knew it was against the law, and they had to get it done quickly. Now, think back with Peter, who's gone through all this. He's facing this opposition now. This is the very same Peter that would wield a sword and cut off a man's ear in the face of opposition. The very same Peter that would deny Jesus three times and go and hide. Now, Peter, what does he do? He expects opposition. He knows it's going to come now, so he doesn't run, he doesn't hide, he doesn't fight. He does, scripture doesn't even tell us, tell us that he resists, and this is only be, because of his posture now towards opposition. He expects it. Later on, he would write a letter to some believers, and he would say this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that, listen to this, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You see, Peter changed his expectations completely. He knew that opposition was coming. And he knew it because of Jesus. Jesus mentioned in his very first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Paul also echoes the same sentiment when he writes to Timothy and says, Indeed, all, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You see, their expectations allowed them to be in the right mindset. Now, how many of you guys uh, are really into going to the lake and you like going on the boat and you like doing all that fun stuff, maybe tubing or whatnot? Well, I, di I didn't grow up doing that. Um, I, I, I didn't go out really on a boat until I was in middle school. But uh, at this time, went down to Florida, had a friend who had a pontoon boat. So we got on that boat and he had jet skis. And let me tell you, as a middle school boy and you see a jet ski, you're like, I want to drive that, right? Okay, so um, I had never driven one, but I wanted to drive it. I mean, I had driven a go-kart and a golf cart, and there's no difference, I assume, right? And so I get on this jet ski, and my friend's like, I probably should come with you. So he gets on the back, 
And as we're going, I start speeding up, and I just give it full tilt. You know what I mean? Because that's what middle school boys do on something they don't know how to do. And my expectation was, though, is that I was going to drive this thing and be awesome at it. So I'm going full tilt, and he says in my ear, he's like, what kind of yells in my ear? You know how loud it is. He's like, when you turn, you have to turn a little bit harder than you do with a steering wheel. I'm like, okay, I guess that makes sense. And so we're getting to a place where i got to make a turn, and I have to turn left or right or there's land. And so I start to turn right, and, I, and the only thing I remember, my expectation was i got to turn hard. So I just jank that, yank that joker, and we do a donut and flip straight over, and I go flying off the front, and he goes flying off the back. All right, next thing I know, we both float to the top. And I look over and he says, Ryan, you, you have to let go of the accelerator if you're going to turn like that. You, you see, my, my expectation was is I knew what I was doing and I knew how to do it. But the very next time I went and drove a jet ski, my, expectation, my expectations of what I was supposed to do completely changed. And that's the same thing we must understand with opposition. We must expect it and know that we can't resist it, but we, we must react to it. But in addition to that, we need to find strength. We need to understand that we have power to face opposition. So the second thing is, is we must find strength in the Holy Spirit. We must find strength in the Holy Spirit. Let's pick up in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Let's, let's stop right there. So why has Peter changed? You know, the same guy that, that wielded a sword who would fight or who would run. Why has he changed like this? Why is he now seeing opportunity and opposition? Well, it's because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He now has great power. He has great strength. The reason Peter, who was an uneducated man, would stand before thousands of people, having never spoken publicly, would stand before thousands of people and give this sermon to where now, you know, well, two sermons to where over 10,000 people have come to faith because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm sure that some of you in this room, undoubtedly, um, you may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you think, if I give my life to Christ, that, that won't prove any kind of strength at all. In fact, that'll show the exact opposite. In fact, I'll be weak. People will look at me and think, you need that, you're weak. And, and I would actually agree with you. We, we are weak. We are weak, but listen to how Paul talks about weakness in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. He says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. Listen to this, friends. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So today, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you don't have access to the greatest power there is, then at the end of the service, we're going to have an opportunity for you to respond to Jesus Christ, for you to turn away from your sin and, and to run towards Him and to faith in Him. So, in order to face opposition, to rise up, we must first expect it. Second, find strength in the Holy Spirit. But third, we've got to do something now. So we need to boldly proclaim the gospel. Boldly proclaim the gospel. Let's con continue reading, looking back at verse 8. 
It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. And they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They had nothing to say in opposition. You see, Peter and John, they're arrested, and they recognize this great opportunity. And you see, like I said, every time we see persecution in the book of Acts, every time there is great purpose behind it. There is opportunity to boldly proclaim the gospel in the face of that opposition. And the purpose here was for Peter to once again proclaim Jesus Christ, even to those very same people who killed Jesus. Under the threat of death, Peter still shares his faith once again. Jesus' brother James, he echoes this in James chapter 1 verse 2. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet, when you meet trials of various kind. And then down in verse 12, he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which, man has, or which God has promised to those who love him. But notice with me, notice with me back in verse 12, what is said here. As Peter is boldly proclaiming the gospel, he says the one thing, and I think it's probably the greatest thing, that, that the reason that people have opposition to faith, to Christianity, to Jesus Christ himself, he says there is salvation in no one else. You see, guys, not all roads lead to God. And people say, how can you believe in something that's so exclusive? How can you believe in something that keeps people outside but it is exclusive let me tell you why scripture is clear on this in, in uh, John chapter 14 verse 6 he says I am the way I'm the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the father except through me there's one way in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 he says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved just one way. Not all roads lead to God. Being a good person isn't good enough. Going to church isn't good enough. In order to have salvation from sin, eternal death, separation from God, you must give your life to Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him. And so it is exclusive. But, however, Christianity is the most inclusive thing in the world. It is the most inclusive thing. In fact, this is why Peter, this is why Peter preaches. The whole reason he shares is that is so everyone will know. Jesus commanded in chapter 1, verse 8 to what? He says, to go and be my witnesses everywhere to the ends of the earth. And thank goodness they went because we are at the ends of the earth. 
because of the healthy balance that exists between this, that the gospel is, is exclusive, there's one way, but the inclusiveness and how, how everyone needs to hear, we then have a, have a, we have a mandate to go and boldly share the gospel so that everybody knows. Everybody hears the name of Jesus Christ. And, and scripture is clear about this, about how exclusive or how inclusive the gospel is. In John 3:16, for God so loved the world, everyone, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, for we were all lost. Second Timothy chapter 4 says that God desires all people to be saved. There is opportunity in every opposition. Fourthly, we need to endure opposition. Just because we expect it and we find power in the Holy Spirit and we boldly proclaim it doesn't mean that things are over. It doesn't mean opposition is over. It's going to keep coming. And so we've got to endure opposition. Let's pick up in verse 15. It says, But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Listen to verse 17. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them, and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But, but Peter and John answered them. Listen to this. I love this. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So arresting them didn't stop them. So now they're going to threaten them and say, don't, don't share. All right. Now, again, I believe that they probably threatened their lives. These were the same men that killed Jesus. So undoubtedly, the people had to think that they, they could be killed as well. So they try this new tactic to just threaten them and say, don't speak anymore. But rather than give in, they endure opposition and they see opportunity in this continued opposition. And they say, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. Early Christians had to be told to stop speaking about Jesus. But unfortunately, many Christians today have to be commanded to say just one thing. There was a man named Daniel in the Old Testament, and he is a marvelous example of what it means to endure opposition. The Babylonians, they decided to besiege the, the land of Israel and the Israelites. And among the many people that were exiled back to Babylon was this young man named Daniel. And Daniel, he was told, hey, you've got to eat this. And despite that opposition, he stood his ground. Later, his friends were thrown into a fiery furnace. Later on, years later, he continues to endure opposition, and they change a decree and make a decree that no one can pray to God anymore. And what's the first thing Daniel does? He goes and prays to God. He endures that opposition. And because of this, he's thrown into a den of lions. But we know what happens, right? 
God closes the mouths of those lions. You see, Daniel, he didn't listen to the voice of the people around him. He didn't listen to the voice of opposition. He listened to the voice of God. He endured opposition. He endured until the very end. Number five, if we want to rise up in the face of opposition, we need to do it with others. We need to find strength in other believers. I love these verses. Let's pick up in verse 23. It says, when they were released, so the very first thing they do when they're released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to the, by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So the first thing that these new believers do is they go and they tell their friends. Hey guys, can you believe it? We just got arrested. They threatened us. Let's lift our voices to God. That's the first thing they do. They, they went to find strength together in the face of opposition. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired of the NBA Finals. I just, I kind of want it to be over with. And what I'm looking forward to now is NFL football. Do I have any NFL fans? Yeah, got, got some hands raised up high. Well, I grew up here in Indiana, so naturally I'm a, a Colts fan. But for those of you that don't know me, my wife and I, we lived in Nashville, Tennessee for a little over six years. And so that's Titans country. And I had a really good friend in Nashville, and he was a big Titans fan. And so every time uh, the Titans played the Colts in Nashville, he, he would get tickets and invite me to go. In one particular game, we go, and it's probably the best seats I've ever had at an NFL game. We're right there, and I am just surrounded by a sea of Titans fans, all right? But immediately, there's a guy in front of me that has on a matching Peyton Manning jersey that I have, and so we connect. And right from the beginning, he turns around. Every time something good happens, we're standing up high-fiving each other, you know? I mean, unfortunately for me, that happened a lot when we played the Titans, and so... Um, but every time, every time that would happen, we immediately would bond. We had unity. You see, when you, when you rise up in the face of opposition, when you're surrounded by opposition, you'll find unity with like-minded people. And you'll build each other up. I know many of you in here are, are fighting so much opposition right now. You're probably in the trenches of life. But what happens when someone comes along in the trenches with you? They stand alongside you. They fight with you during those tough times. Then when you step up out of the trenches and you begin to run towards the opposition, that you know that they're going to be right there with you as well, linked arm and arm. We need to find strength in other believers. We need to rise up together. This is why we gather on, on Sunday mornings. This is why we have small groups to find strength and other believers, because when that happens, we then have power to go together and to serve and be the mouthpiece of God in this opposition-filled world. But finally, the last way to battle 
opposition is to pray for greater boldness. So you expect opposition, you find strength in the Holy Spirit, boldly proclaim the gospel. You turn around and endure more opposition. You find strength in other believers so that therefore you can pray for more boldness from God to go and do it all over again. Let's pick up in verse 29. It says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So the early church has just experienced this whole thing. They've been arrested under the threat of death. They're let go. And they could have easily just went and sat back and be like, all right. We made it. We're good. Let's go. Let's go hole up somewhere. No. They say, Lord, thank you. We want more, please. Give us greater boldness to go out and fight in the face of opposition. They're not done, and we are not done. We're never done. And their prayer is answered right away. Right after they had prayed, it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. As I conclude uh, this morning, I just want to share with you three quick stories of, of three different uh, groups of people, um, some of which are a part of our church, but they're in three different circumstances facing three different types of opposition. The first is, is a couple who has just been through the ringer. They have uh, faced death in their family. They faced sickness have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so through it all, they have continued to pray for more boldness in the face of opposition, in the face of persecution. I have a, another friend. He is a brand new believer. And boy, does he get me excited. He's just vibrant, on fire for Jesus Christ. But because of his newfound faith, he too is facing opposition from his friends and his family because he's changed. He's different. And so he needs to find Find strength in other believers. We need to surround him and support him so that he too can boldly proclaim the gospel. And then I've got a, another friend. This person doesn't know Jesus Christ and just being beaten down time and time again, wondering, wondering what purpose is, wondering what a next step might be. And I pray that this person would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to be able to find strength and power in the Holy Spirit to be able to battle this opposition and have a brand new posture towards life and recognize the purpose that we each have as followers of Jesus Christ. Fortunately for us, we have the greatest example of one who rose up in the face of opposition. He literally rose out of the grave in the face of opposition. See, he understood that he needed to battle opposition. And because of his, his battle, we then have opportunity. We have the opportunity to respond, to make a change. I know that each of us in this room are, are facing some sort of opposition. Some because of our faith, 
some just the, the trials and the tribulations of this world. But my question to you this morning is, how will you rise up in the face of opposition?